Hello and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast. Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie rules and the Mighty Bombers. From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you. Thank you for joining us. Let's Let's start start the pod. pod. review of the game against Carlton now round 14 review coming up against St Kilda so Brendan didn't get the result we wanted against Carlton but had the 150 year celebrations me and you made a bit of a night of it after work caught up went and got a meal walked to the game it was cold winter's night but um, there was still some good things to, to come out of the night wasn't there yes yes it was the end result uh, wasn't what we would have hoped but um it was a good night to celebrate the, the history of the club and think back on the totality of the 150 years as opposed to uh, how we're going at the moment and in the last little while, really. <laughs> yeah, so maybe if we start with that, uh, before we go into the actual game, we'll start with the pre-game. So uh, I think it was about quarter past seven or half past seven that they came onto the ground, pulled out all the Premiership Cups, the lights went down, and then they started a process of introducing... Um, relevant people and people over history that have contributed to the club. So uh, I, I thought it was a nice touch that they started with the AFLW um, team that so far has started to be assembled. And that was kind of a, a bit of a nod to, you know, we're here to celebrate our past, but here's, here's the future straight in your face straight away. Yeah, and I really liked that they started with the girls. Right? Um, as you said, we've... We're really excited about the girls. We obviously cover the VFLW here every week on the podcast, and they're they're going really well. And to get the AFLW girls, so that's it's really good. And um, it was we got a little bit annoyed that the Carlton fans booed them, you know. But I guess they just wanted an opportunity to boo, and they're back for Carlton, so that's all they do. So yeah, it was good good to see that the uh, we've even before they played a game, we've already upset some of the Carlton folks. So that's uh. <laughs> they're Essendon people already. <laughs> yeah, let's just be blunt. Carlton fans can just get stuffed and that's all there is to it. Um, so they had uh, Senator Briggs as the MC, and we both mentioned it uh, when we were sitting there at the game that he did a fantastic job. It was it was a, a really good uh, selection of a person to do that role and, and to, to take on that responsibility, and it, it was really good. It was really well delivered. Uh, it wasn't just read off a script. He had some of his own content in there as well. And uh, I think before we go into some of the details of the thing, the whole the whole thing was really well put together. Uh, I guess we've probably both been um, guilty of being critical of, of the club in recent times with, with a lot of other members and fans and people in the media and that. But uh, this is definitely something that the club should be given credit for and they, they really nailed this uh, pre-game stuff. Oh, 100% agree with you there, Mark. Oh, I, as you well know, through our friendship, I'm notorious for bagging out pre-game stuff there. I'm, I'm one that's all about the football. Who get, who cares what goes on pre-game? Fireworks, Australian Idol contestants, all these things. It, it kind of irritates me. But this was probably one of the rare times where I sat back and I thoroughly enjoyed what was put on. Maybe because it was an essence thing as well. That probably helped as well. But I think credit's got to go to... Uh, um, the Essendon Chief Communications and Marketing Officer, Ryan Larkin. Uh, I think he was the man charged with responsibility of kind of putting this all together. 
And yeah, like you said, Mark, the Premiership caps in the in the middle of the ground, the dimming of the lights, and then just the specific ways people were introduced. You know, uh, there was Lloydie. You know, they cut to him. And then all of a sudden, there's a spotlight on him, and he throws a glass up. And I just thought that I don't know whether that was Lordy or they told him to do that, but I thought that was just it was so good. You know, just it really tugged at the heartstrings there, and especially. We've, we've been a bit flat this year and it was cold and it was raining and it was just a miserable night. But to see that, that really did, you know, warm the heart. They had some really good family connections too. So uh, all four Danaher brothers were there, which is really fitting for the fight M&D round uh, as well. Um, Watson, father and son, uh, were there as well, which was good. So there was some, some really great family connections uh, around the ground also. So that was really good. And uh, I guess that one of the, the final people to be introduced, so, you know, it started with Michael Long and Gavin Wanganeen and um, there was Matty Lloyd, uh, as you already touched on. There was uh, the Watsons, that we just said, as well. Um, so it, it came to the, the final crescendo of introductions um, was the, a big bit of smoke started to gather in the race directly on the opposite side of the ground from where we were sitting. And... Uh, it was really dark, and then all of a sudden, out come James Heard, and I think, I think I said to you, it's uh, the Messiah has returned. It was just, it was, it was. I think I said also to you at the time, it was like the Undertaker coming out at WrestleMania. It was just, it really got the um, the goosebumps going uh, on the skins, and it was, it was great to see the great man back. Oh, it was absolutely astounding to see the great man um, stood up, applauded. I'm not going to lie, had a tear in the eye. Uh, you could see the smoke building whilst they cut to the highlight clips and all that. You could see building about 10 or second, ten or 20 seconds earlier. And I thought, oh, this has got to be him. This has got to be well, this has got to be him. And then he's just come through the smoke. I think Gary Lyon in the broadcast said it was like some mythical creature. It was just, it was so, so well done. Just for his entrance alone, I thought it was on the winner. And then after him, it was Kevin Sheedy. And, you know, we talked before about, Senator Briggs is doing such a good job. He introduced him. He said, the Don of Dons. I thought that was just a great line that just, when you think about it, it just, it sounds right. It sums him up perfectly. I thought oh, that that was really spot on and good good work from him. And then, of course, the boys come out. There was all the fire spurting. They've run past the Premiership Cups. They've gone to the goal square and they've gotten the, got the huddle. How great was that, Mark? Yeah, I thought that was really good. I, I didn't really know what to expect when they went down and they all kind of shook hands. I thought that would kind of be it and they would go about their warm-up. But um, Heppel grabbed them all and they all stood in a big huddle and you had, you know, players, past players standing arm-in-arm arm with, with current players and uh, people in suits, you know, linked in arms with people that are in their game kit ready to play in, in the next 10 minutes. And uh, Heppel delivered, we don't know what he said, but... It was a pretty passionate-looking speech. He's tugging at the jumper and, um, you know, clearly saying words to the effect of, of playing for the jumper and playing for the sash and, and the heritage. So uh, for, by all reports of people who were in that circle, it was really well delivered. And uh, there's people that don't play anymore that were wishing that they were about to play that night, uh, such was his uh, talk, which obviously, unfortunately, given where we're currently at, didn't quite get us up to, to a, a huge start. But... Um, it was pretty good, and, and I know in the crowd it had us G'd up, that's for sure. Well, I think that's the thing with Hep. I think you kind of forget he's a, he's a real Essendon person. He grew up barracking for the club. 
He's been the captain of the club. He's played over a decade, 200 games. Um, he's had a real tough time recently with a bit of criticism. But in that moment, he just showed how passionate he is about the club. And I know that's something you and I have said a little bit over the journey that, you know, it feels like the players don't quite have the passion for the club, you know. Uh, but in that moment, Heppel certainly showed the passion that he has for Essendon. And there was, you know, there was my man, Jaden Laverde, who I think this, it was just, it was one photo that summed it all up. He's standing there in the middle. He's an Essendon supporter, boy from Keelor, right? He's won the McCracken medal, which is the medal that's supposed to celebrate the Essendon's history. And on to, on his right, there's Gavin Wanganine, Brownlow medalist, premiership player, team of the century. On his left, there's James Hurd, Brownlow medalist, premiership player, team of the century. And I just thought, wow, that's ha, ha, you know, how great would that be? Where you've got the captain pumping you up, you've got Hurdy and Wangers on either side, you're an Essendon player yourself, and you know the way he plays, Lav. Oh, he's and he played a great game on the weekend. He's just so you know he bleeds for the jumper. He's do or die. He just works for his teammates. Oh, it was, it was just great. The other image that I really liked was um, Harry Jones, similar sort of thing to what you've just said, grew up an Essence supporter, you know, rang Adrian Dora the night before the draft and said, you've you got to take me, you've got to pick me, um, got his wish, plays, plays for the club he you know, grew up barracking for now. And there's a great image there of him embracing, kind of hugging with James Hurd right before the game, right before going off to do the warm-up and, you know, Harry Jones in the long sleeves, Friday night, playing against Carlton, then he's embracing with, with James Hurd, who he likely grew up idolising as, as a kid. So just some really some really great things to come out of the uh, of the pregame there. Oh, it was fantastic, fantastic. Um, the only thing I would say, it was very ill. It was not a lot of Kevin Sheedy era onwards, so 1980 onwards, which is, when you think about it, it's pretty pretty good era. <laughs> you know, uh, four premierships, uh you know, 40 years of history. Uh, but I would have liked them. I think they probably would have tried and maybe time restrictions or just things, but some more stuff about the history. So like the families of Dick Reynolds, John Coleman, Bill Hutchison, they could have done something to acknowledge, acknowledge them, you know, the forties and fifties era. And, you know, even the sixties era, they, I know they had Hugh Mitchell, who's a premiership player and vice captain in those sixties team, tossed the coin, but, you know, people like Barry Davis, Alec Eppis, Ken Fraser, John Burr, Barry Capuano, they could have been acknowledged. And then Graham Moss, Ron Andrews, Neville Fields, Gary Folds for the 70s. Right, it would have been good to kind of acknowledge those periods. I know when they did the um, the documentary series, they did focus a lot. The first two episodes were on the Colmwoods and Reynolds era. Then they focus on, on the 60s, right? So it would have been good if they could have followed that on, but I, I acknowledge, you know, they did a pretty good job anyway. So <laughs> it was a 10 out of 10 what they did. So we're really asking for <laughs> 11, 12 out of 10. So <laughs> pretty hard to do that. Uh, I would say, Mark, that's the best um, pre-game match to any game ever. And every club, other club supporters would be incredibly jealous of what we did and would be now looking to copy us like they copied us with the hangar, they're going to try and copy us with this. And it just goes to say was, you know, we're still leading the competition in some areas. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it definitely was good. It ticked all the boxes for me. And um, yeah, I mean, it was, you only got to think back to a few rounds ago when we played Dreamtime and you go, oh, gee, Richmond really nailed that pregame and we didn't really put 
as much effort into it by the looks of it. And um, this time we got it really right. And even if you can't be doing everything right on the field, then at least we're getting something right off the field. And I guess that probably leads us into the game review now. So obviously not the result we wanted, but um, if you're listening to this, we, we are going to try and be a bit more positive and, uh, and kind of look for some silver linings because it's not going to stay this way forever, surely. And, it's uh, it gets pretty downbeat when you kind of go over the same stuff every week and feel the same way. So, we're making a bit of a concerted effort this week to try and uh, to try and pull some positives and um, and to, to try and find some things to be excited about, I guess, and, and to to look on the bright side of. So, um, pretty hard to go straight from that into a score of uh, seven twelve fifty four to twelve eight eighty, but that's what it was, and uh, could have been worse. So. Um, obviously the inaccuracy there stands out, which we'll get to later. First quarter, we started a bit slow. I think they'd kicked three goals before we registered a goal. So we went in at quarter time, three goals, 220 to four goals, 125. So we're down by five points. I think they kicked a real late one from memory. Otherwise, uh, we're, we're pretty close. We're actually up by a point with not long to go there in that first quarter. In the second quarter, uh, we kicked a further two goals, two to their five goals, three. So, we lost that quarter by 19 behinds, which saw us go into halftime, 24 points down. So that sort of dampened the mood a little bit. We let them have eight scoring shots in that second quarter. And um, and to be honest, there were some times where they got it down there and didn't generate a score and could have maybe been a lot worse. Um, but going in 24 points down, we're not used to, I guess, bridging a margin like that anyway. So it was already starting to feel a bit unrealistic that we might uh, be able to win the game, even though it's a... Seems silly to say a four goal margin, but that's just where we're at in terms of the scores we're kicking. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, sort of four goals down at half time, and uh, had a bit of work to do ahead of us from there, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, as you said, at half time, they're really behind the eight ball. There, we, you know, they'd already kicked essentially ten goals and a half. There, converted at seventy percent from thirteen scoring shots, and we were, you know, only six goals at, from nine scoring shots at. 55%. So third quarter, thought we kind of evened it out a little bit there. Two goals, 4-16 to three goals, 2-20. We're heading the scoring shots, 6-5. to five, But as it's almost a story every week there, Mark, conversion let us down again. We went at 33%. They went at 60. Ended up uh, winning, uh, losing the quarter by only four points and trailing by 28. Uh, and then the last quarter, uh, I think the rain came in a little bit more, but he was real. Yeah, certainly wasn't one for the classics there. Zero goals, four behinds from four scoring shots to Carlton, uh, two behinds from two scoring shots. So, yeah, pretty ugly last quarter. I also think maybe defensively, it's the second week in a row, Mark, where we've had no score in the last – we haven't kicked a goal in the last quarter. Same thing happened against Port Adelaide, a little bit of rain. I think maybe they tried to stem the bleeding a little bit, kind of – Played a bit more defensive, try to choke it up there, but um, yeah, it was certainly um, certainly uh, certainly not great. So second half, only ten scoring shots for two goals, eight converted at twenty percent to the Blues, three four from seven scoring shots, forty two percent. So yeah, that was that that was the game really. Um, yeah, it was we we stuck around. It was good that the the boys kind of fought it out in the temperatures there, but um, yeah, yeah, we didn't fully roll over, which was nice to see. And uh, I guess we've we've copped a few buildings this year, but um, yeah, I don't think that one goes down in the belting category as much as it hurts to lose. It's not 
up there with, you know, what happened against, say, Geelong or a Frio or something like that. So, um, small steps. I guess we'll move into the good, bad and ugly. So, naturally, we are going to have some more negative aspects in this category, but we'll start with the positive. So, uh, I think something that we noticed, going into a game like that, only having won two games and you've played, you know, half the season, naturally fans are maybe not going to turn up and are going to be pretty disenchanted. But to attract a crowd of 65,000 on a cold winter's night, I think was pretty good. And uh, the fans were loud and, and they were excited and they were trying to pump the boys up. And I think what it made me sit there and realise is, gee, if this is us at our worst, imagine imagine if things can get good. Imagine if we can be up there and we can be, you know, hunting around the top four and, and starting to really make some momentum one day heading into, you know, into a, into a good position. And, um, you know, maybe that's not next year, maybe it's not the year after, but eventually someday that's got to come surely. And uh, there's going to be some pretty good atmosphere at the, in the games um, when there's crowds like that, if that's how we're going when we've uh, only won the two games. So good on the Essendon faithful for, for turning up. Yeah, I think I think there's a quote from Simon Matter. I'm not sure if it's it's his quote or he's just pinched it off somebody else. But he, um, he said, um, in order to understand success, you have to understand the struggle. So right now, we're probably in the struggle phase. <laughs> but when we do get success, it's going to be all the more sweeter. Right? There's no like no clubs had a worse twenty years than us. The 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 only people who can who haven't had it as bad as us is poor Fitzroy supporters. Right now, that is that is the worst. Right? But yeah, on field success. Has been non-existent. Off-field, it's been even worse. <laughs> so um, yeah, it'll it'll turn the corner. Um, we're probably not going to get into the whole review thing here, Mark. But I think we got back the coaching, back the captain in at the moment. Try to be positive. We got to see what what little wins we can get for the second half of the year. Um, hopefully, we can you know at least double what we're on at the moment. We've only got two wins for the year. Hopefully we can get to the four or five wins. That should be just be the goal and just, yeah, be real positive about it. So something else that was good was 75 tackles for the game. I reckon that's got to be our most this year and probably most for a while, I reckon. So of some individual performances there for, for players, we often talk about when we talk about tackles, you know, aiming for minimum of one per quarter. And I just want to highlight some guys who were able to get but more than that. So Shield had 10 tackles, which is a great effort. Andy Phillips is a ruckman with nine tackles. Uh, Jane Laverty with seven. Dry Caldwell with five. And Nick Martin with five as well, which um, Nick Martin, I think also, it's something that wasn't in his game in the first half of this season as a young, inexperienced player coming in. And it's something he's been able to add, which is um, really a credit to him considering how well he's, he's been anyway. And he's been able to, within that, develop something into his game. Yeah, and I'd like to focus just on the tackles inside 50 there. We had of our total 75, we had 18 of them inside 50. So that goes to show that whole this forward pressure game that we're trying to look to introduce, you know, take from Richmond, that's coming into it a little bit. Now, you might also say we, we probably turned it over going inside 50 and, and Carlton had a lot of intercepts there, but so the ball was on the deck and there was opportunities for us to, um, to tackle. But it's still – it's good to see that we – made a concerted effort and focused on that part of the ground, trying to create create opportunities for us to score. 
Yep. Uh, another player here that I just want to highlight was Harry Jones. He obviously returned from injury, so he was coming in off a pretty long run-up. And he had the 10 disposals. He kicked two goals, one. Um, I thought he was uh, reasonably good uh, around the ground, all things considered. He's a young player coming back from from a pretty long-term injury. And, um, yeah, I, I just wanted to highlight that I, I thought he did a good job and definitely made us look a bit different up forward, which is good. And uh, then another player who we want to highlight here, I might let you lead into that one. Yeah, that was uh, was Dylan Shield there. Um, I think he was probably our best player there. He had 27 disposals at 82% efficiency, five marks, 10 tackles, eight clearances, five scoring violence, and then kicked a goal himself. Um, I thought this was clearly his best game for the year. You know, some might argue the best game for the club. Uh, worked hard both ways. Um, the 10 tackles, as you said, Mark, it's outstanding there. Uh, really stepped up. When, uh, when Parrish went down and the factor in that McGrath was out of the side as well. So we needed to see the leader in the midfield try and really carry us, and he certainly did that. Um, I'd like to see this player, this version of Dylan Shield going forward. If he can if he can keep this up, this will be um, the player that we kind of we, we wanted when we brought him in. And, you know, um, oh, yeah, I, I just wanted to give real kudos. He's had a tough year, copped a lot of criticism, in the media, copped a lot of criticism from the fans. So for him to uh, to know all that and stand up, you know, when it wasn't going our way, I thought there's all the more credit to him. Well done, Dill. Kicked a really clutch goal too and all the players got around him. So that was um, a nice bit of uh, morale amongst the team to see as well. Um, Jaden Laverty had the 10 disposals, three marks, seven tackles, like we said before, two rebound 50s and five intersteps. Uh, we've got written down here that he's the first picked every week. Is just... You cannot fault this guy's heart and his commitment. Um, it, it's someone that you'd want to run out next to every week, that's for sure. He's always undersized but just competes like a lion and gets the job done. And uh, he's just really got some good uh, defensive craft now that he's brought into his game. And, um, yeah, it's not it's not just a fluke that he's been playing well down there for a year and a half now. So, uh, yeah, some credit to Jane Laverty again. I think, he, I think he plays a really critical role in the side at the moment. I think... Clearly, he's the number one key defender despite being undersized. But we're giving those jobs a bit to Zach Reed there because he's he's the guy of the future. He's going to be the number one key defender. But Lav's really keen to make sure he drops off, helps Reed out. When Reed looks like you know the physicality is getting a little bit too much for him, he drops off, helps him out. Sometimes he even makes a call, Hank. Nah, mate, you go go over there playing somebody else for five minutes. I'll take. The big man, you know, Harry Mackay started to get a little bit hot. Lav said, nah, move, come on, he's, he's my job, I'll take him. Now he's in good form, I'll kind of cool him down a little bit, then we'll switch back over later on. And I think that shows real leadership there. I think, you know, he's probably been a bit of a maligned player, Jaden, across his careers, had a, had a lot of injuries, played some different roles. But the move to send him back has been an inspired one. Um He's yeah, he's been a star, and you know, I'm not sure if he's, you know, a big speaker in terms of you know the media and all that. But geez, if if you know, potential captain, I reckon, just you know, follow me, do as I do. I think if we had a lot more people playing the way Jaden does. I think we'd be going a lot better. Someone else who we wanted to mention was Mac Welfy. So on the stat sheet, it might not look like a stellar game. 11 disposals, two marks, kicked it behind, and three tackles, 
four inside fifties, four score involvements and two intercepts. But just a couple of things that we recall him doing. There was a big courageous mark going back with the flight late in the first quarter. There was another big contested mark earlier in the first quarter that he took. So he's only taken two marks of the game, but they've been you know, really things that stand out that you'd watch as a teammate and say, Yeah, that's that's someone who is committed. Like he he went back and you know, disregard for his safety and uh, and put his body on the line. So for someone like Mac Welfie, Mac Welfie's never going to be Chris Judd um, playing through the midfield. And, and you've got to understand, I guess, where his ceiling is. And, and I think he's playing at pretty close to, to what his ceiling is this year. And he's really stepped up and, and gone up to that level of where he's capable of getting to. And I think that's worth highlighting. And uh, you always see him diving because someone's boot trying to put a smother on and putting that pressure on. And that's as much as you can ask from Mac Welfie. And he gives it every week. So we just wanted to highlight that. Yeah, so we'll we'll just move on to onto the bads now, and we've just kind of it's been the same story all year, really. Just poor defensive structure meant on multiple occasions uh, they just got us on the overlap, coast to coast goals. So they had a lot more kicks than us, you know, fifty more kicks. They had twenty more handballs. Right? So overall, we lost the disposal margin by quite a way. But I guess all, what what's important is that with those all those extra kicks, they had. So much more uncontested possession. Was it like sixty percent more, sixty more uncontested possessions, which led them to having way more effective disposals? Was then led them to having way more marks, and that's we talk about that overlap. It was almost like a game of checkers where you jump, <laughs> you jump your opponent, and then all of a sudden you kick a goal. Right. So they had one hundred and thirteen marks to our eighty. Right. We had 14 contested. They only had eight contested, which means that they were just getting ball in space and then had 13 marks inside 50, right? It was, you know, it wasn't particularly anything great that Carlton were doing to to break us down. It's just been a trend of the year, and that's something that I think needs to improve, and I think that's got to do with, with some coaching there, Mark, and I think that's probably going to be the key thing they've got to work in the second half of the year to try and, Rectify. This is this is not a preseason fix. You got to fix this in game because if you don't, then you're not going to have a preseason because there's going to be changes made. Another item that we just wanted to highlight again was we're really struggling to keep score at the moment. And I think something that was good last year was we I remember I recall us regularly kicking scores of either close to a hundred or or a touch over a hundred, and uh, we were able to generate those scores, which we've struggled with in the past. But this year we've gone back to we seem to be hovering around that 50-point mark. So we keep 54 on the weekend, and um, it's not sustainable to kick a score that low. You're not, you're not ever going to be in games and challenging for wins. So we need to find somewhere where we can get goals from. We are getting comparable inside 50 numbers, I guess, on most weeks. We're 46 to their 54, so they have beaten us in that stat. But, you know, it's not, it's not like we are miles down where we shouldn't be kicking high scores. Um, you know, we've generated nearly an equal number of scoring shots. The conversion we, we talk about every week, that's something that's really poor that needs to improve and, and that'll go a long way to helping us. Um, but we do need to find other avenues where we can kick goals. I think we all know the reasons why, you know, there's, there's players there that hit goals last year that either aren't there this year or have missed large portions of this year. And we're talking about, you know, Carl Hooker's retired, Tipper didn't play this year and then retired. You know, Jones has only just come back and he kicked probably 20 or so goals last year. Um, Alec Waterman. You had Alec Waterman. Jakey Stringer has barely played this year and kicked a lot of goals last year. So 
all of a sudden you can quickly add up to probably, you know, you're probably getting 80 to 100 goals, you know, over the course of a year out of those sort of players who just rattled off. So you can see why it is, but, you know, Hooker and Tipper, they're not coming back. Um, so you've got to find those goals somewhere else. So we need, whether that's players that we bring in or whether that's players that need to step up and develop that we already have. And I think, you know, this year we pra- praised Peter Wright early. He was, you know, second or third in the column there for a number of weeks, but he hasn't kicked a goal since round nine. So I think the past three weeks he's been held goalless. Right. So that's something that he's got to bring into his game to be a regular contributor every week. And I believe, you know, in a good side, he's in, you know, he, him in good form, he's capable of kicking 50 goals a year as a key forward in the side. And, you know, he's such an accurate set shot that he doesn't need a lot of attempts, right? So, but he's got to make sure he gets him, gets his hands to the ball and, um, yeah, and just competes a little bit better. Um, so another one is we talked about our midfield depth uh, was, was tested a bit there. We obviously had some injuries uh, before and during the game, which impacted that. Um, I love the fact that we've thrown the keys to Perko, put him in the middle right, and getting a lot of set of bounce attendances. Uh, I think the next one is we've got to do the same with Benny Hobbs. He didn't get a, didn't get a single centre bounce attendance or I think he might have even got one. Now, that last quarter, there was no goals kick, so there was only one centre bounce uh, for the entire game. But I think getting him into the middle a little bit more uh, would be good, especially in the second half of the year, get him exposed to to that role. Because you look at some of the stats there, we've dominated the hitouts 43-26, but we've actually lost the clearances. Right? We won the centre clearances by a fair margin, 13-8, to eight, but stoppage clearances, 19 to Carlton's 27. And that was an issue last year as well with Parrish being such a dominant centre clearance player who had really strong centre clearance numbers, but stoppage clearances around the ground really struggled. And when you factor in that the majority of clearances happen around the ground. So we're really, really exposing our back line by allowing the opposition's midfielders to get first touch and kick the ball forward. Yeah, just a couple of other things to on the bad here to, to round out. The, just a lack of coaching creativity again. So we talked about that there was coast-to-coast goals and the overlap and, um, you know, uncontested marks down the ground uh, leading to scoring shots. And we never really seemed to do anything to change that. Um, you know, you mentioned there in that last quarter that we there was no goals kicked. So, um, you know, there was no centre bounces, which meant no zone. So we could have dropped the number back if we wanted to. Um, I, I, don't, I don't recall seeing anything like that at the ground that we did that stood out that was us trying to just, you know, get get back on top for five minutes or get back to level playing ground for five minutes and try and take a bit of control and wrestle a bit of control. And um, whatever we've been doing this year structure-wise hasn't worked clearly. So I think we need to come up with some plan Bs and be able to be seeing those being implemented during games. Yeah, and our final one for the, for the bads here is... When, when the captain, Hep, kicked that goal, um, I would have liked to see the players get around him a bit more. You know, maybe we're all lacking a bit of confidence there, but I think really celebrating the wins during the games is something we should do. I know Kyle Hooker, he made in his, part, in his last two years, he said he made a concerted effort to always celebrate the goals he kicked really hard. He said, as a defender, I knew how hard it was things so and how demoralizing it was to do it. So I went extra hard when I celebrated. 
And that really, I wanted to pump myself up. I wanted to pump the boys up and really kind of get that mental edge on the opposition. And we really don't have anyone that celebrates a goal, apart from maybe Semi Draper, right? But I think we really got to kind of, like, we talk about these small wins, try to generate our own enthusiasm when things aren't going our way by really getting around each other, really pumping each other up, you know, really supporting each other. And I think that's what we need to do going forward. Move on to the ugly category here. So Darcy Parrish copped a, a corky in his calf, which apparently was at the very first set of bounce, so pretty much straight away in the game. And then uh, it just got progressively worse to the point where he was subbed off. We we noticed during the game he was labouring uh, quite a bit. We're trying to run and um, was no good. And thankfully it's a corky, but still some doubt as to whether he'll get up for this Friday. So that's touch and go. Andy McGrath... Um, Heard his abductor during the bye uh, when we weren't even playing. So during some match sim or some training or something like that, uh, he was bizarrely named for the game, which we thought was a huge risk. But thankfully, he was um, omitted late. So at least we didn't risk him in that game like we might have other times. So hopefully, he's right to go, fingers crossed, because uh, even two weeks seems like not a lot of time for it for a strain of that nature. So um Four fingers crossed for Andy McGrath. And then I'll just let you finish off by listing out the players who didn't reach 70% disposal efficiency this week. Yeah. So as as every week, uh, if you get under 70% disposal efficiency, you're in the ugly. Uh, not for the whole game, for just for that aspect. Uh, I think it's really important that we, we set a target of 70%. Um, so we've got Zach Merritt, Peter Wright, Nick Martin, Harry Jones, Matt Guelphy, Jaden Laverty. Jaden Stringer and Andy Phillips. Um, Stringer and Phillips in particular, like Jakey, first game back had a bit of a had a bit of a rough one there, but only went at forty four percent there, and uh, Andy Phillips went at thirty three percent. So only <laughs> only one in three of his disposals was effective. So that's um, yeah, that's just not sustainable. <laughs> Uh, Heath Hockey medal votes, so I'll riddle through mine pretty quickly here. So my five votes will go for Dylan Shield, four votes to Zach Merritt, three votes to Dyson Heppel, two votes to Archie Perkins, and my one vote went to Benny Hobbs. Uh, my five went to Dylan Shield, my four to Zach Merritt, my three to Jaden Laverde, two to Archie Perkins, and one to the captain, Dyson Heppel. All right, let's take a quick break because we have a bit of a list of uh, club news to get through an exciting amount of club news, so we'll come back with that. So, Brendan, we said we had a mountain of club news to work through here, and it starts with none other than Nick Cox re-signing. So he signed a contract extension of two years, which will see him remain in the red and black until the end of 2024. And uh, he's out at the moment with that Liz Frank injury to his foot, but um, proved last year that he's a pretty talented player and going to be an exciting prospect. Uh, I think struggling for a little bit of form and confidence uh, earlier this year, but um, aren't they all at the moment, I guess so. Uh, pretty exciting to hear that Nick Cox has re-signed and that does the trifecta as well of Cox, Perkins and Reed all re-signed um, for at least the next two years. We've read an extra year on top of that. Yeah, really excited to have um, Nick Cox's signature there. I think he's potential to be a real point of difference player for us, a guy that can really cause trouble for the opposition. His versatility is clearly his weapon at the moment there. Um, I would like to see him settled in a position uh, probably most likely a key position, either forward or back. Um, you know, lots of people have their different preferences. I think a Nick Cox, Zach Reed's fullback, centre half back combo could potentially be 
you know, as good, if not better than a, you know, Carl Hooker, Michael Hurley, fullback, centre-half-back combo. And both of those guys were all Australians as, as key defenders there and were real pillars for us there. So we can replace those two with Reed and Cox. I think we're, um, it builds, you know, a really strong backline for us and helps set up the future hopeful premiership spine. So we'll move on to the uh, the AFLW there. We've had six player signings uh, this week. So we've had three girls from our VFLW side, Eloise, Ashley Cooper, Renee Tierney and Bella Eyre. Uh, they've all done very well this year, and are all part of the uh, the side that's playing on on this week in there for a hopeful spot in the in the prelim there. So uh, Ashley Cooper plays in the back line in the midfield. She's the reigning VFLW BNF winner, and she's uh, averaging fifteen disposals and uh, this year. Uh, Renee's a forward. And she's kicked sixteen goals for us this year, and Bella. Uh, is coming in, is averaging 14 disposals, and it has previous AFLW experience having played for both Brisbane and Carlton. Yeah, and some former AFLW players have signed on as well. So Alana Barber and Jess Wichner. I've butchered that surname, but uh, it's a, a little bit German-looking, and I've, I've just struggled with that one. Sorry, Jess. But uh, Alana Barber, midfield, uh, forward, previous VFLW uh, player with Essendon who was drafted to Gold Coast who played two games over there this year averages 13 disposals and nine kicks and five tackles in the VFLW for us uh, earlier this year and uh, Jess is a small pressure forward we do with her in the senior side at the moment I reckon as well and uh, 2021 AFLW Premiership player for Brisbane so that's a pretty good pretty good accolade 2018 AFLW All-Australian two-time leading goal kicker for Brisbane in 2018 and 2019 played the 38 AFLW games for 37 goals so that's a pretty impressive CV yeah and then the the last signing is Olivia Barton she's a defender uh, has played 13 VFLW games for Port Melbourne this year averaging 17 disposals and three tackles and then we've got AFLW senior coach Natalie Wood, and she's actually been selected for the AFL's Women's Coach Acceleration Program. So that that program looks to fast track female coaches uh, to assist with their progression through the senior coaching ranks. So as as a participant of this, she will receive a, a level three AFL coaching accreditation, and it will make a formalised partnership that the club already has in place uh, with her and Ben Rutten, and she'll you know be involved in the uh, AFL men's program and be involved in meetings, how to set up a coach's box, game day, match committee, all those real intricate things to kind of build up to match day. And I do want to give her and the club's credit. There's obviously pre-season has just begun this week for the AFLW and there's a really good uh, video out there of, of Natalie Wood talking to, to the players in the room there saying how brave they are. They already are having jumped on the new AFLW program at Essendon. They're now, you know, the, the inaugural list, they're the leaders, they're the ones to go forward and kind of build the club into the next 150 years. So I thought that was a really good um, really good video. And, you know, from that, you can tell that Natalie's a real real football person and, is, you know, it looks like she's going to be a really good coach. I think, you know, she gets it. Whatever it is, she gets it, you know. So, yeah, no, it was a good video and I encourage other people to have, have a watch of it. And if you're watching the AFL games on TV when they're panning to the coach's box, um, keep a bit of a keen eye out because you'll see 
Natalie in the coach's box as well. So she's she's definitely putting in the hours and just um, absorbing all, all the knowledge and and uh, all, all that content. And uh, yeah, that with this course, and I guess she already had um, a long rap sheet of uh, footy experience as well. So really excited to see what Natalie can bring to the, to the club and to the women's football program in particular. We'll move on to the VFL State League result now. So uh, our VFL team, back-to-back winners, uh, I'm happy to say. So they beat Carlton. It was 12 goals, 8.80 to 10 goals, 11.71. So close game, but came away with the nine-point win, which was good. Uh, dominated sort of most of the stats that matter there. We uh, had a fair few more kicks, uh, less handballs, uh, nearly double the amount of marks, which was good. Tackles, it was a fairly high tackle game. We had 67, they had 85, so um, still a good number. Dominated the hitouts as well. Um, inside 50s was fairly close. They had nine more than us, uh, but we managed to hit the scoreboard when it mattered. And uh, the rebound 50s, we were good off half back there with 50 rebound 50s to their 37. So maybe if you just want to roll through some of the AFL-listed players that played, of, of which there was uh, 15 of them. Yeah, so that's the highest number we've had we've had all year there, 15. I guess having more AFL players uh, in the VFL side will kind of see us get some some more wins going into the year. So we'll start with James Stewart. He had a 22 touches, kicked three goals, two, had eight marks. Uh, it's probably his best game. As the, for this year, uh, obviously he's been kind of coming back from a bit of injury there. Uh, Nick Bryan has gone back to VFL level and, and had another good game. 14 disposals, five marks and a 45 hitouts. Um, I'm really liking how he's progressing. He's still pretty young there, Nick, but he's, you know, he's going pretty much one out against the opposition's best uh, ruckman every week and, and really dominating. Kane Baldwin, uh, 11 disposals, three marks, two goals. And a couple tackles. He's really um, his defensive pressure is something that really stands out. We saw that at AFL level there, but for a big bloke, he really works hard and he um, looks to tackle and put pressure on in that forward fifty. Alistair Lord, fifteen touches, two marks, two tackles. Uh, Brandon Zerk Thatcher, twenty-five disposals, eleven marks, two tackles. Played a real uh, real intercept role there on the weekend. Mark kind of played a little bit loose. A lot of those rebound fifties would have come from him intercepting and moving it out. Just if we quickly stop on BZT, is Zerk Thatcher becoming that player now that is too good to play VFL and needs to start pushing into the AFL side? Often you see players who just have regular good form in the VFL. And this might be maybe a little bit of a stretch for me, um, just given that some of the form of the team, but he's had some really standout games this year, which seems a big step up in confidence to what he's had previously, which is a promising sign. Well, I think I think he is starting to get to the decision where, especially being on an AFL list, I think we've got to give him stretch of games and see what he's got, right? And I think the partnership he's he's building there with with Cody Brand in particular, and you know, I think is really important. I think they work really well as a tandem. So we'll just go to Cody for a second. He's had 14 touches, four marks, and two tackles. And Cody every week is getting better and better. And them two as a combo, Cody probably being more defensive. Uh, which then allows BZC to kind of float across and be more attacking in terms of his marking and intercept play. So I think as a combination, they're going they're going really well. So it could be it could be maybe time for both of them to get in the side. We talked about Zach Reed being really the only key defender in terms of height. There, both those boys are one ninety five centimeters plus. Um, maybe a good time to, to develop. To, you know, see what 
BZT has got for the future and maybe blood Cody into the give him a taste of senior football, especially, you know, coming up, we're going to have games where we have two two big key forwards we're going to match up on and then might even take the load off Lav. He can maybe play and I play his own size and then really look to, to dominate and that might give us a bit more run and aggression out of the back line. Yep, I'll just keep rolling through some of these names. So Josh Eyre had the 10 disposals and two marks. Braden Ham had a pretty good game, 20 disposals, six marks and three tackles. Garrett McDonough had the 16 disposals, three marks, four tackles. Tex Wanganeen, the 13 disposals, three marks and three tackles. Cam McBride, 11 disposals, three marks, seven hitouts. Massimo D'Ambrosio, the new player that we picked up through the mid-season draft, he had an absolute ripper game, 33 disposals, five marks and two tackles. That is, uh, that is some debut. <laughs> Yeah, he was best on ground. He did all that, all that work from half back. Uh, real attacking play. His kicking's fantastic. All the stuff they said about him is is, is true. Um, in terms of a small defender, we really need someone who's got that run and gun. So I think, you know, you probably want to see him back it up a couple more times in the VFL there. But he's certainly one if they wanted to. We had an injury to a um, to a Nick Hind or a Mason Redmond, right? Or they wanted just to to kind of get a bit more run and gun through that, that back line there. He's certainly one that could come in and, and debut. Uh, Alec Waterman, uh, seven disposals, uh, one goal, three marks. Jai Menzi, the other debutante there, only the five disposals, kicked the two goals, one, but playing as a small forward, it's a feast or famine type of type of role there. So from the to have, you know, three scoring shots and impact the goal from only five disposals, I think it was pretty pretty good. And especially when you're considering he's competing uh, with Tommy Hurd there, he's had the 16 touches, one goal, one. And they're at the feet of, you know, Stewart and Baldwin, who's kicked five goals between them. I think it's, you know, <laughs> it wasn't a lot of opportunities for uh, for the ball to hit the ground. Some of the better BFL listed players in the day were Brad Bernanke with uh, 29 disposals, Joe Atley with the 19 disposals and five tackles, Stefan Rassinac with the 19 disposals and 10 tackles. And Billy Cooney with 18 disposals, six marks and two tackles. So we are 17th on the ladder after 10 games, two wins, eight losses, 74.2%. And our next match is uh, Saturday, 18th of June, five past two versus Sandringham at the Trevor Barker Beach Oval. So we'll move on to the, the VFW girls. So they uh, they had the qualifying final on the, on the Saturday as well. So it was a double header. So, as we mentioned last week, this is 1v2, Essendon 1, Box Hill 2, uh, and it just shows the, how good the girls are going. We are we won it by 53 points, pretty comprehensive win. Eight goals, 12, 60 to one goals, 1, 7. So, that's right. The second ranked side for the year only kicked one goals, 1, and we kicked a 12 behind. So, we had to be a bit accurate there, Mark. It could have been an even bigger, bigger margin there. Dominated the stats, uh, you know, 94 handballs to 57, right? 80 tackles from the girls there, 53 hit outs, 32 inside 50s. Just a real, real dominant display there. And we'll just run through the goal kickers there. Uh, Natalie McDonald, number 22, 12 disposals, three goals. Federica Few, number 17, 11 disposals, one goals, one. Celia McIntosh, number 20. One goal, one, six disposals, three tackles. Courtney Eugle from the back pocket, 11 disposals, one goal, three tackles. 
Renee Tierney, as we just mentioned, just been um, got an AFLW contract, 14 disposals, one goal, five tackles. And then we have, you know, Joanne Doonan, who's, <laughs> who's had a really rough game, had the 15 touches, one goal, three behinds, two goals. Sorry, one one goal, two behinds, two marks, two tackles. And then we'll go into the leading goal kickers there of Amelia Radford, 21 disposals, five tackles. Alana Barber, again, AFLW in, inclusion this week, 20 disposals, one goal, seven tackles. Aloysia Cooper, nine disposals, one mark, four tackles. And then the captain and the inaugural AFLW player, Georgia Nanskown, uh, 15 disposals, one mark, and the 13 tackles. What a, what a star she is. Yeah, it's um, that's some start to a finals campaign, isn't it? That's dominant. And uh, their next match is Sunday, June 19. It will be the second semi-final. So it's uh, Essendon versus Casey Demons. Uh, it's going to be at Windy Hill at 5 past 11 in the morning. And it's really important yeah, if, if you can get along to get along there. So this will be the last final we have at Windy Hill because I think uh, the other finals now are going to be at the old Tiak Oval there where um, Port Melbourne... Uh, in the VFL, their home ground. I think that's the uh, the home ground of the VFL there. So that's where all the major finals are played. So uh, if they progress to a prelim and then to a grand final, um, that's where they be. So get a, get to the get to the home ground of the Bombers. Support the girls. Make it a real home atmosphere, and hopefully we can get them over the line against Casey here. A pretty good outfit. To round out the results this week, it's the VWFL Wheelchair League. So round six, the development side. Uh, it was Essendon 11 goals, 7.73, defeated Hawthorne 2 goals, 3.15. So a dominant win there. And the senior side, it was Essendon 30 goals, 6.86. So Hawthorne 7 goals, 7.49. That is a shellacking if I've ever seen one. Caleb Logan scored 25 goals himself, which is a VWFL record. He's had a few big games in his time uh, that he's played for the Bombers over the years. And... Uh, He's an absolute Essendon person if there ever was one. And he's, he's got 25 goals himself on the weekend. So that's a utter domination. And we move on to the ladder. The development side sits in second after playing six games of four wins, one loss, and the one bye. And the senior side sits first, having played the six games of five wins and the one bye. So they're undefeated. Round seven is on the 26th of June at the Burundara Sports Complex. And uh, the development side will play Richmond. 10, uh, 10 15 a.m. and the senior side will play Richmond at 11 a.m. So um, the VWFL uh, squads are absolutely flying as well, which is good to see. Uh, we will take a quick break and we'll come back with some 150 year anniversary discussion. So in keeping with the 150 year celebrations that the club had, they had an event uh, as well on Saturday night. And uh, in that, there were some some awards uh, that were presented as well. So, Brendan, do you just want to take us through um, Kevin Sheedy's uh, award that he received? Yeah, so at, at the gala dinner there, Mark, I think they had 150 former players there and, you know, obviously uh, fans and other support staff and all that could, could come along. Um, and at this dinner, um, Kevin Sheedy was awarded uh, as the inaugural immortal of the Essendon Football Club. So Kevin's already a member of the Essendon Hall of Fame, and then he was inducted as a legend, or elevated to a legend status of Hall of Fame 
which series, I believe there's 30 other legends of the Essendon Football Club, and now he's now one tier above that as an immortal. So this was a, you know, a special award by the president, Paul Brasher, and he's come out and said, Kevin's passion, dedication, determination and pride in expanding the S- in Essendon from a suburban club to a truly national sporting organisation has helped ensure the Essendon Football Club remain a preeminent club long to the future. We particularly acknowledge Kevin's contribution in winning four VFL AFL premierships as coach, as well as his significant role in establishing annual marquee matches, including Anzac Day, Dreamtime at the G and the Country Festival. Importantly, we recognise the influential role that Kevin has had and continues to in developing and nurturing players of all backgrounds and cultures in his four decades of involvement at the Essendon Football Club. So clearly uh, no higher honour <laughs> at the Essendon Football Club considering they've just created a new one for him. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, great recognition there for him, Mark. And you just want to go through some of his records there to why he's been made and immortal. Yeah, so Kevin Sheedy's record at Essendon coached Essendon from 1981 to 2007, which is 634 games, 60% win ratio, which is very good, 386 wins, 242 losses and six draws, four-time VFL, AFL Premiership coach in 84, 85, 93 and 2000, three-time coach of the All-Australian team in 85, 93 and 2000, coach of the Essendon team of the century, Essendon life member, legend in the Essendon Hall of Fame, legend in the Australian Football Hall of Fame, current Essendon board member, and the only coach at Essendon since 1968 to win a final in a period that now spans 54 years. So a great personal achievement, not such a good club achievement, that one. But um, nonetheless, that, that's, a, that's a very good list of achievements uh, for one individual at a club. Oh, in- incredible list of achievements and, and due recognition for the outstanding... Um impact that he's had on the football club there. Um, I'm not sure how often they would um, be giving out an immortal status to someone there, Mark, and um, you would think that you'd have to be a legend in the football club's Hall of Fame for quite a period of time before you become an an immortal there, and considering there's only a group of 30 to pick from, um, I would say it's probably going to be few and far between and a recognition of only those who have like a preeminent standing within the football club. And the only other person that really comes to mind is is, is Dick Reynolds there, King Richard. Um, I just thought it'd be good just to take through, through some of his stats there and how, especially with his coaching, a lot of his coaching is uh, great success in the football club, probably the most strongest era. And how I believe he's probably a worthy uh, immortal, worthy of immortal status. So, for his playing record, I think uh, <laughs> lots of people uh, know this there, but played from 1933 to 1951, played the 320 games, which is a VFL record until 1970, and an Essendon record until 1989, which I believe it was broken by Simon Madden. He hit 442 goals. He captained the side from 1939 to 1951, so 224 games, which was a VFL record until 1997. So... In the vast two thirds of his all the games he played, Mark was his, was his captain, and they were as his captain coach as well. So he won three Brownlow medals, 34, 37, 38. He won seven best in fairest and 34, 36, 37, 38, 
39, 42, and 43. And in 43, he also led the goal kicking. <laughs> so he's a four-time premiership player, as I mentioned, always captain coach in 42, 46, 49, and 50. He was also coach, captain coach in a drawn ground final in 48. And then he was captain coach in a further five grand finals, which he was runner-up. So 41, 43, 47, 48, and 51. So from 1941 to 1951, he was captain coach. So in those 11 years, we made nine grand finals. And one of those was a draw and a replay, but what an amazing effort. So we'll just talk about his coaching record because, as I mentioned, he was captain coach for the first 13 years there from 39 to 51, but he also coached just as in, just as a coach only from 52 to 60 for for nine years. So all up, 21 years as coach, 415 games, 275 wins, and a win percentage of 67.2. His record in finals is outstanding as a coach. 37 finals for 21 wins. 59.46 win percentage. He coached a club to 12 grand finals, and that's including the 48 draw and replay. So that's all the ones he and the four premierships. So in coach alone, 57 and 59, he also coached as well. He then he coached and played for Victoria. So 17 games, 20 goals for Victoria. He was captain Victoria twice, coached Victoria twice. He's recognized as an Essendon Life member. He's in the Essendon team of the century as the captain. He's in the VFL, AFL team of the century. He's a legend in the Australian Football Hall of Fame. He's a legend in the Essendon Football Club Hall of Fame. He's in the Sports Australia Hall of Fame. And in 2001, he was ranked number one in the champions of Essendon. Fair, fair resume, Mark. Fair yeah, resume. You're absolutely right. If, there's, if the immortal award is given out again, then surely he would have to be next in line or, or very close to being next in line, you would have thought, to, to receive one of them. So, um yeah, good, some good stats there. And congratulations again to Kevin Sheedy on, on his award as well. So we'll move on to Don's DNA. And it'll be a pretty quick one this week. But what we wanted to do was, I guess, kind of link. We've just played Carlton. We've just celebrated our 150 year and uh, and talked a lot about the past. And, and I guess things are a little bit down at the moment. And what how we wanted to link it was that similar kind of mood I guess in 99 although we were a lot more successful during the year was that we just lost a game to Carlton at the end of the year which was a prelim final and we've used that as a bit of fuel to go on and do what happened in 2000 and um, uh, it's not a a complete comparison to where we are now obviously in terms of form and ladder position and everything but it just goes to show that you can you can use a a negative and use it for some motivation and move on and, and do something good with it so um bit of a story around that preliminary final loss so we were up by 17 points in the last quarter against Carlton that day and we went on to lose by the one point I think we kicked 21 behinds essentially kicked ourselves out of the game and if we had been doing a podcast back then Brendan as uh as nine or ten year olds or whatever we were back then then I dare say it would have been uh we would have been talking about conversion still as we are now Officially, my worst day as a football, <laughs> Essendon Football Club on the field there. 
yeah, so not not great. Everyone knows that the footage of Dean Wallace getting tackled with 38 seconds to go and uh, Mark Murphy holding the ball up. And it was it was described as, I guess, as an embarrassing loss um, at the time, given that we were such favourites heading into the game. We'd had such a good year. And uh, Sean Wellman um, remembers Kevin Sheedy telling the players after the game that we'd, we'd just gift-wrapped the premiership to North Melbourne and that uh, we'd, we'd basically blown our chance. So... Uh, with that, about three days, three or four days later, I think it was on the Wednesday. Kevin Sheedy sends a message around to the to the twenty two players or, or thereabouts and says we've purchased grand final tickets for everyone to go and watch the grand final, which uh, obviously no one was was too keen to do, but they had to do. So uh, all the players went along um, with Sheedy to the grand final, and Matthew Lloyd was describing it on radio uh, only recently, saying that there was fans and crowd at the game who were, you know, doing choking signals and, and stuff like that to them and uh and I guess getting stuck into them and, and giving them a bit of stick. Um so so it was not a fun experience for anyone. And uh from there at three quarter time, Shitty said, stand up, we're, we're gonna leave. So they left and they went across uh across the road um to a restaurant that was across from the MCG and they were they were met there by um Shaw who was uh, Robert Shaw, who was assistant coach at the time uh, with Sheedy, and he had folders and he gave all the players a folder and said, in these folders are, are the four teams that we need to beat uh, next year if we're going to go all the way. So uh, Melbourne was in there, Carlton was in there, North Melbourne was in there as well. And coincidentally, they were all teams that they played and smashed during the 2000 final series um, as well. And from that day, they started... I guess their quest to go on and and right the wrong that was the preliminary final the week earlier and uh, they never looked back. They started the training early, got stuck in, everyone came back in really good shape and um, something that's probably lesser known from that year is that they never sung the song when they won a game that year in 2000. That was a bit of a pact between the players that they that they wouldn't sing the song and that they would save that for when they won the grand final, um, which they did and went on and smashed Melbourne in the grand final and finally got to sing the song and the rest is history. So a few little fun facts from uh, from a game against Carlton, uh, I guess, that was a bit of a turning point. So hopefully it can be the same after our game against Carlton only a few days ago. Um, with that, we'll move on to Bombers numbers. So number 13 and number 36 Guernseys this week, Brendan. Uh, let's get started with number 13, Dave Smith. Yep, so Dave Smith is uh, played in the early part of the 20th century. So he played from 1903 to 1913, played the 142 games and kicked the 14 goals, 114 goals. Um, he played, he was an all rounder. He played in pretty much every position on the, on the ground, very versatile. He was actually the captain of the 1911 premiership side. And, um, even did a little bit of, a little bit of coaching there as well. Um, was known for his superb kicking and actually uh, played for Victoria in the VFL Carnival team. So, fantastic player. Also, uh, fun thing to note here, Mark, was an excellent cricketer and was selected to tour England, but actually missed missed it, couldn't go to England because he played in the back-to-back premiership for the Bombers. So, turned down a, a, t- a baggy green to represent the red and black. <laughs> Where would you rather be, really? Where would you rather... Oh, well, <laughs> geez, I tell you what, I love me cricket. 
you know, a baggy green and maybe playing a test at Lords, that's up there. But winning a premiership for the Bombers, I'd say, that's, that's probably the only thing that could beat it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up is Darren Williams. Yep. So Darren Williams, or, or Daisy as he was known, uh, played for the Bombers uh, during the 80s there, was an absolute superstar player, first rover. So started in 1979 and played majority of his career from 83 to 89. Played 109 games, 94 goals. As I mentioned, was a rover. Uh, played in the 84-85 premiership teams. Also represented Victoria in both those um, games. Funnily enough, Mark, I talked there about how there's a bit of a gap between 79 and 80. He actually went over to the West and played for East Fremantle and then, then came back there. So um, you, you talk to the guys of that 80s era, Simon Madden, Tim Watson, Terry Danaher there, they say that, that Darren Williams or Daisy was, you know, an absolute superstar of the, of the club and a real key. Obviously, to be the number one rover in the midfield there shows how good a player he was. Actually, you know, won the Morris Medal, which is, the, you know, the best junior footballer at the under, old under-19s uh, for Essendon there. So when you think about that 80 side of the midfield, it was Simon Madden in the ruck, Leon Baker in the centre, Tim Watson and Daisy Williams. It's a <laughs> move Neagle on a wing. Geez, <laughs> wouldn't you love to be back then? <laughs> Next player up needs no introduction. It's Michael Long. Michael Long. Oh, what, what, a, what a star. Played from 89 to 2001, 190 games, 143 goals. It's a dual premiership player in both 1993 with the Baby Bombers and in, in the most dominant side in the history of the game, the 2000 Bombers. Won the Norma Smith in 1993. Was twice in All-Australian in 88 and 95. Uh, was fourth in the Brownlow in 1995 and um, is a member of the Australian Football Hall of Fame, the Essendon um, Hall of Fame. And I believe he's also a legend in the Essendon Hall of Fame. So what a, what an absolute superstar, Michael Long. What, you know, what more enduring memory can you have is that goal that was kicked in the 93 grand final. That was kind of brought up in the celebrations uh, before the game there. And I, we, we, we sit, we sit out the front of the president's luncheon there. And it was both him and Stephen Silvani in the room talking about that, the president's function there. So he's left an indelible mark uh, on the football club has Michael Long. Speaking of superstars to win the number 13 Guernsey indigenous superstars, I should say was uh, next up is Andrew Lovett. Yeah. So Andy Lovett was more our time play from, 05 to 09, 88 games for the 93 goals. Uh, won the Anzac Day medal in 2005. Uh, might have been his debut game, if I'm if I'm not correct, right? Of, on one of his early games. Yeah, um, very flashy player. Just had pace to burn. Um, yeah, and then was eventually traded to to St Kilda. And a more recent one as well is Arazio Fantasia. Yeah, so Arazio played for the for all the Bombers from 2014 to 2020. He played the 80 games, kicked 111 goals. Um, I think was a real, real, real fan favourite. There was Raz. There, um, he's obviously left us left us to go back to his family in in Adelaide. Had a, had a long, long list of injuries in recent years, and you know it's um, some some players that that leave you and you're a bit dirty on them, uh, and there's some that you never, ever forgive. Or there's others which you, in time, with a bit of perspective, you can 
think back okay. And he, he's won Raz, I think, um, with all the bad luck that he's had. Uh, yeah, it's um, sad to see and hope he can get get back fit and playing some good football for Port Adelaide because he was certainly a much-loved player at Essendon. And our current number 13 is Nick Cox, who we mentioned earlier, has re-signed a two-year deal. So we'll get to see Nick run around uh, again next year when he's back from his injury and uh, hopefully take that next step up in his third year. So we'll move on to the number 36, Guernsey, and start us off with uh, Alan Thor. Yep. So Alan played from 1949 to 1954, played uh, 41 games, uh, was a back pocket player, played in the 1949 Premiership side, uh, and then was actually um, coached reserves side post his football there. Uh, he coached them from 1954 to 1959. Funnily enough, Mark, in 1959, he stepped in for one game against Fitzroy. Uh, Dick Reynolds was unavailable, so the reserves coach came in and, uh, and coached the side, and he, and he got the win. Uh, and then he went on to coach the uh, Essendon under-19s from 1960 to 1976. Winning, uh, winning two premierships there. So, was at the club from you know playing or coaching role from nineteen forty nine to nineteen seventy six. So, certainly a, a long contribution and a, a real listening person is Alan Thor. And not many people can say they replaced Dick Reynolds at any point in time. So uh, that that in itself is uh, noteworthy. Uh, next up is Paul Doran. Yeah, so Paul Doran played the 82 games, kicked the 34 goals from 1959 to 1965. He played in, as the fullback in the 1962 Premiership side uh, and then retired after the 1965 Premiership. Third up is Peter Bradbury. So Peter played from 1983 to 1986 for the Bombers, uh, played the 49 games, kicking the 19 goals, played, uh, Played in the 1984 Premiership, uh, missed out due to injury in the 85 Premiership and then was traded to, to Collingwood as part of the infamous Jeff Raines trade there. Uh, but I know he's uh, he's a strong, excellent person and I believe he was, at, he was actually at the uh, the gala dinner, the 150th gala dinner on the night and people, if they're interested, can go on the club website and Tim Watson did a, did a, did like a roving Brian uh, thing was a, was a roving Tim. He went around and chatted to all these players, and and Peter was one of the players that he spoke to there, and he gave a really a good talk about his career at Essendon and how, how he loves the club, and he you know wants to see the club go go a bit a bit better at the moment. And uh, next up is more of a modern era player, Scott Cummings. Yeah, so Scotty had the uh, had the long career, so. He was at Essendon from 1994 to 1996 for the 40 games and kicked the 83 goals. Then he went on to play for Port Adelaide, West Coast and Collingwood. So he was our leading goal kicker in 1994 uh, and then moved to Collingwood, was there, moved to Port Adelaide, was their leading goal kicker. At West Coast, he was the leading goal kicker there again. He was also he won a Coleman medal in 1999. And I think if I'm, if I'm not correct, uh, if I'm not wrong there, Mark, he was actually part of the um, the deal was caught up in uh, Gavin Wanganine. So when he traded when he was traded to Port Adelaide, um, they gave pick two and pick twenty eight in return. And do you have any idea who two and twenty eight turned out to be? Oh, in what's that ninety six or something like that? Yep, no idea. Pick two was Chris Heffernan. And pick 28 was Jason Johnson. 
<laughs> so, like, lost a good player, but got two, two, two pretty handy ones back, <laughs> and really uh, set us up for that uh, that two thousand premiership there. And the last player here in the number thirty six Guernsey is Michael Hartley. Yeah, so more more of a recent bomber there. Played the forty four games for Essendon between twenty sixteen and twenty nineteen. Um, key back, I thought played. A really important role there, and a really, really tough period for the football club. There it was a real kind of stable player, and um, really, especially in that suspension year, which was his first year. Mark, I think, played a really, really big role in trying to holding that back line together and not having it collapse there. And I think his inclusion in the side really allowed us to make the decision to throw the great Carl Hooker forward and plays that swingman, and then he could play that role at fullback with Hurls and. Petty Ambrose here. So, whilst he only played the 44 games and didn't have a whole heap of excess on the field, I think uh, he made a really big contribution uh, to the group and a really important time. And the current number 36 is Garrett McDonough, who we haven't seen uh, play in the senior side to this point, but um, hopefully in this second half of the season, he can uh, get a little bit more form in, in the VFL and um, force his way into the AFL side and show us what he's got. He's got a Big booming uh, left foot, and um, can play off half back pretty well by all accounts. So hopefully we get to see a bit more of that in the second half of the year. We'll go to our final break, and we'll come back to preview the game against the Saints. We have the Saints on Friday night, ten to eight at Marvel Stadium. Uh, this shapes as, as an interesting game for us because the Saints are in some good form this year, and I don't think it's because they've got a star-studded list or anything like that. I think they've just got they've got it right. They've just got their structure right. They're up. They're confident. Their their um, their coaching's working well. Um, just goes to show that you don't need a superstar list. That don't don't get me wrong. They've got some good players on the list. You know, they've got Max King and. And players like that, but uh, but you know it's not it's not a list like some of the dominant teams you've seen. You know, it's, it's certainly not a list like Melbourne's list or something like that. It's just got players with with talent everywhere. So um, I guess credit to them for, for getting that right. But uh, it proves an interesting game for us because on paper we should match up decently well. But when you take form into account and confidence and ability to implement game plans and stuff um, it's probably a bit of a dangerous game for us where if you're, you're horribly out of form and you play against a side who's in good form, it uh, it could be a pretty comprehensive win for them if um, if it goes to plan for the, the, them. Yeah, and that's also balanced that they've had a had a bit of a rough week with the injuries there St Kilda too, so I think I was listening to the, the Footyology podcast with uh, two great Essendon people and Rowan Connolly and um, Robert Shaw, who you mentioned before, Mark, and I think Robert said that it could be Essendon win by three points or lose by 83. <laughs> it's just um, it's just one of those games. Yeah, I don't think there'll be anything in between. I think I think you're right. It's um, it's either going to be a big margin uh, or it's going to be a close game. I, I, I can't see it being like the Carlton game where it's, you know, sort of four or five goals. Um, yeah, it just has that feeling about it. So uh, before we go into the matchups, let's just go through our injury list, which thankfully is starting to decrease. So hopefully that keeps going that way. So Kyle Langford 
uh, returning from his hamstring injury in the VFL this week, will play unrestricted minutes, which is good. Andy McGrath with his abductor uh, is a test uh, for this week, but they seem fairly confident that he'll play. Darcy Parrish with his corky in the calf is going to be a test as well, and that sounds like it's um, a little bit less convincing, uh, but thankfully it's not a tear, it's a, it's a corky, so um, probably want to just manage that properly. If he needs to miss another week, then so be it, I, I reckon. Will Snelling with his calf, he's going to play restricted minutes in the VFL, so it sounds like he's still a few weeks away. Um, and slowly building up, um, but it's good that he's going to be back out on the field. And uh, Paddy Voss with his foot is going to be playing restricted minutes also in the VFL. Michael Hurley, uh, we haven't had an update from him in quite a while, and we did get one today, and he will um, be returning to full training within the next couple of weeks with the aim for him to, re- to return to the field in about a month's time, which is pretty promising. So uh, I think it sounds like, you know, if he returns in a month's time um, to VFL at that point, there'll still be about, you know, what, five weeks left or something in the year, four or five games to go in the year. So hopefully he can get a good little block there at the end of the year. And if it's his final year, then at least gets to finish off playing some footy, which is uh, which is good, not only for him mentally, but just his health and um just a good story in general if he can get back on the field. Nick Cox with his foot stumped for the season. Devin Smith with his knee has had a, a, um, a little clean out recently on that. So that's uh, going to be just managed and will be to be confirmed moving forward. Yeah, so we'll, um, we'll move on to the Saints there. So Jack Bytel has got a foot uh, two to three weeks. Uh, Nick Caulfield's done his ACL in his knee, so he's done for the season. Dan Hanabry. He's got a calf, so he'll be three or four weeks. Um, real shame about Hanbury. He was a very good player, um, for, especially for Sydney. But ever since he's been at St Kilda, he's had, he's had a calf for about five years. So he's been <laughs> incredibly unlucky. Uh, feel real sorry for him. Good player. Uh, Jaron Geary's got a shoulder, three weeks. Jack Hayes has uh, done a knee. He's out for the year. Zach Drones tweaked a hammy on the weekend there against Brisbane. Uh, he's a he's a to be determined at the moment there, but um, they're talking maybe test, but I think it, he's probably going to miss. Uh, Mitch Owens and Dan McKenzie both uh, got knocked out last week, so they're both going to miss this week under the concussion protocols. And then uh, St Kilda's captain there, Jack Steele, he'll he'll be out. He's got a shoulder. He's uh, for two weeks there, so uh, not not good for any of those boys there, but certainly. Um, yeah, Jack Steele is a massive out for them. He's their captain. He's in all Australian. He's their best player. He's um, yeah, big out, big out. So hopefully that's uh, that's one less player we got to worry about for us in the matchups, Mark. Yeah, and on to the matchups. Uh, we'll start, I guess, with one of their more dominant players in Max King. So he's obviously a big key position forward. Um, our options to play on him, I guess. You mentioned earlier in the pod uh, about how Zach Reed and Jaden Laverty were working together over the last few games and. You know, Reed was typically getting those kind of big monsters as a bit of an assignment and as a bit of a test and, and um, you know, look into the future, I guess. But at times where he's needed support, Laverde, even though he's undersized and those guys, he's used to playing on them over the last 12 months and he's been able to go back and support him and take the pressure off when the time comes. So uh, maybe we see that continue this week with Max King. He's he's going to be the go-to guy for Saints. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind King as a matchup for Reed because King isn't a real gorilla. He's not a wrestler, you know. He's more of a taller player who gets on his bike and leads at the ball, and they're, they're all things that that Reedy can do at the moment with his frame there. So, um, I guess it's the old adage, you know, play, play back shoulder, 
and kind of with his long limbs, kind of you know, keep up with him and try to get a fist in there. So, um, yeah, I'd certainly be given the keys to Reedy. And then, as you mentioned, Mark Labs, kind of the backup there floating around, help him out. Next up is Rowan Marshall, who plays in the ruck a little bit, but also goes and rests forward and can be quite dangerous as a forward option for them as well. Big, big body, can take a mark. So, um, I guess here we, you know, we've already kind of probably taken Reed's our big key uh, tall down there. Laverty plays undersized, but if he's going to be helping out on Max King as well, then you know Ridley's not the option here because he'll be undersized and and can't play his natural floating role. So maybe this is an opportunity. We spoke about um, Brendan Zerk Thatcher in his VFL form earlier, so maybe this is an option for Zerk Thatcher to come in and play on Marshall. Yeah, I, I, I like that idea. I like playing the two more natural key defenders there, having Lav there to kind of help out. I think, you know, Marshall's probably a bit more physically developed and also goes in the ruck there. there. So I think he's probably a better matchup for a BZT as opposed to a Zach Reed. But I think it's going to be the case of Lav will play on one or both if needed. But if Laverde could play on maybe a memory, who's probably more his height, but certainly a lot bigger and stronger than Marshall and, and King. And I think BZT or Reed could go with um, memory physically, whereas Lav, I think, could get in a wrestle and also beat him in the air. So that would be the triumvirate in the, in the back line that I'll be looking to to match up on. We spoke about Marshall and the ruck. The other ruck that they've got is Paddy Ryder, who we're obviously all familiar with and is uh, still going still going really well. Um despite being uh, in the twilight of his career now there. And um, I guess they're going to have the two ruck options. Do we stick with Draper and Phillips? Do we have just Draper? Do we bring Brian back in? What are your thoughts? Uh, well, we'll get get to it a little bit later there in our ins and outs, but I think we, we probably dropped Phillips. I think he, you know, he did a lot of work, good work in terms of taps and in the centre bounce, but we didn't make, take advantage of it against Carlton. Um, his disposable foot was, was poor, as we mentioned earlier. And I think there's an opportunity to, you know, bring in a James Stewart. He's had some pretty good form in the VFL as a key forward. You know, you could play Stewart, Harry Jones, Peter Wright as the three key forwards there. And then you could, you know, you could rotate Stewart into the ruck if you really wanted to, but it was mainly more of an idea of maybe getting Peter Wright up in there, you know. If he can't get his hands on the ball like he's done the past couple of weeks, at least he can kind of influence him get into the game a bit more forward and it also allows Stewie to play his more natural third tall role as a forward. I think people forget he's done he's been thrown back the past couple of years, Stuart, and has done, you know, a pretty decent job there, but he has played all his junior football as a forward. He was drafted as a forward. He came to Essendon as a forward. And I think in 2017, he kicked 30 goals as a forward for us. So might might be less than that. Might actually might have that number wrong. Uh, but I think his best football for the football club has been as a forward. So that's – unfortunately, he comes in, you can't play three key forwards and two ruckmen. So someone's got to miss out. So that's what I would do. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, I like that idea. I think, like you said, Phillips, um, Endeavour was there, but execution wasn't last week. So maybe just needs to go back just to work on that a little bit at VFL level and 
uh, reward the guys who are playing well at the BFL level and bring them up. It's, we've got nothing to lose in this second half of the year with um, with moves like that on the selection table. So now's the time to do it and try it. Move on to a couple of their halfbacks, Brad Hill and Jack Sinclair. So they're kind of, you know, potentially creative runners off halfback. So we need uh, some defensive forward types who can go with them um, on the run sheet here. We've got Matt Guelphie and Sam Durham. I really like those matchups. Um, Guelphie and Durham, obviously less experienced players than what Hill and Sinclair are, but could be a, a really good learning experience for them. And, um, you know, at least if you can make their impact null and void and, and uh, take them out of the game, then that's a good thing for the team. Yeah, I think I think Guelphie plays that half-forward role pretty natural anyway, and he's got a good defensive mindset. Sammy Durham has played half-back. He's played on the wing. He's a bit of a utility player. Uh, some might say oh, you could play maybe Nick Martin. He's probably more of a natural half-forward in that role. But I think Durham is capable of, of doing it. And importantly, I think capable. he's got the – he can run out of game on a player like that. He's got the pace to match up. He become, can become a weapon in terms of exposing Sinclair or Hill with his height around the ground with his marking. And um, he could be a real real danger utility player for us. Next on the list here is Jade Gresham, who's pretty dangerous at half forward and rotates through the midfield. He's quick. He's got good goal sense. And he's, uh, he's a smart player. So... If Andy McGrath's back in the side and he's up and going, uh, he can go with him pace-wise. He's just a smart football brain-wise. And um, he's been shown this year to, to have a pretty good defensive mindset as well. So that could be a, quite a good matchup for the day. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Both both pretty, two very talented players. Uh, next, we've got Brad Crouch, who's a bit of an inside mid. I think um, Dylan Shields, the matchup there. Uh, both are both are kind of explosive players from the stoppage. Um, we got, you know, McGrath potentially playing at half back, Parrish potentially out of the side. I think Dylan Shield with his height and he's, you know, it's proven last week with the 10 tackles, he can do the defensive stuff in his game there. So that would be a good assignment for him. Then we've got two, two more permanent small forwards. We've got to watch out for and Jack Higgins and Dan Butler. Uh, both have come from, from the Tigers there. Both have been pretty successful for them. Both more your traditional Crummers, you know, Butler probably gets up a ground a little bit more. Higgins probably close to goal, but both very dangerous players. I think in the side, we've got Mason Redman and, and Nick Hine who have the pace and the, the, to go with them there. Just interested to get your thoughts on the matchup for Higgins and Butler. And Jake Kelly uh, was brought into the side while reports to play a more defensive role in the back line of playing these types of players. Um, do you think that's a which who would he go to, and how do you see his role so far in in, in the back line there? Yeah, well, I thought that these type of players was who he was going to play on, but I haven't really seen it work that way that often this year. He seems to be playing on the bigger, more key players, and I know that he, you know, has talked about as being able to kind of play both both roles. But I think it was really clear that our one of our deficiencies last year was small forwards getting off the chain and kicking multiple goals, and I thought that that was what that trade uh, and that inclusion into the side and to the team was, was for. And we haven't really used it that way. So I would have expected him this weekend, you know, to go to, say, a Dan Butler. I think I think Higgins might have his measure just with pace and, and, and agility. But I think Butler, although he's quick, I, I think um, 
oh, I don't know, actually. I've nearly talked myself out of it because Higgins stays a bit closer to home, which is probably what suits Kelly. Uh, maybe Kelly's not that good working up the ground with Butler uh, up and down all day. So, yeah, maybe it is Higgins. But either way, I would have seen him play on one of these players. But I could just as easily see him lining up on, on um, you know, one, one of their taller guys that comes down in, in the forward line. So it's really hard to say. And well, I don't know what your thoughts are, whether you would like to see him continue to play the role that they seem to be playing him in and back him in, or should he be shutting down those small forwards for us? I just think him playing the role that he's been asked to play is is odd. We've got Laverde. Him and Laverde, I think, play in the ideal world, play this the same role. So like in three years' time, when you've got say, Reed and Cox as your full-back, centre-half-back combo. Who's going to be the third tall? And I think it's one of those two would be that role. And I'd, I'd back Lav in. What's, you know, can you play Lav, Ridley, Redman and Kelly all in the same back line? I don't know. I don't know. We don't have a lot of run at the moment. Hep's been in there, but he's moving up the ground. Tommy Cutler's getting some game time in there as well. It just seems it seems odd that we've got a lot of the players of the similar type and playing the similar role when we don't have guys playing the role. So we said earlier, you know, Massimo D'Ambrosio had a great game in the VFL, small, smaller player. Could he come in and play that role? We've been banging on for what seems like five years, play Andy McGrath as a small defender. It seems like if you said Andy McGrath and Massimo on Higgins and Butler, that just seems like a more natural fit than trying to manage these three or four 190 centimetre plus tall, small, versatile types that doesn't really, it's not really working. Yeah, I I agree. And it might be, maybe it's too early to bring in Massimo, but um, maybe in the next couple of weeks, you don't, you never know. Um, We'll move on to the last player here, Seb Ross in inside mid. Jai Caldwell, probably good matchup there. Jai's quite defensive, uh, likes to tackle, likes to be a stopper. So uh, I think he could play that role on Ross, can go with him size-wise and pace-wise. So good matchup there. So our ins and outs predictions, um, kind of already touched on Andy Phillips for James Stewart there. That one makes sense, as you said. Um, if Darcy Parrish doesn't get up with his calf, I, I think... Andy McGrath, if he does get up, is is the logical uh, kind of like-for-like replacement there. He's got the ability to play mid if needed and um, half-back if uh, if Parrish is up anyway. Um, We talked about BZT potentially coming in. Who would you take out of that back line to be able to play um, Zerk Thatcher in in that position? We've we've just talked about Kelly. I, I can't see them... Omitting Kelly, they seem to be backing him in. Who are what are our other options down there to take out? Well, who's in the back line at the moment? We're not dropping Lav. Uh, we're not dropping Ridley. <laughs> we're not dropping Reed. They're, those three are locked. <laughs> um, Redmond is playing some okay football. I wouldn't. I wouldn't move him out. Uh, and then you like Heppel's the captain. I see them dropping him, especially as he's playing up the ground a bit more. So you're down to maybe a Nick Hind who's been dropped this year or or a Tommy Cutler who's also been dropped. I think I think if Parrish misses, I would 
bring in BZT and drop Cutler, and then, then everything works in terms of ins and outs. But if both Parrish and McGrath play, um, I think they they drop BZ to drop Cutler and don't play BZT. I think they'll only make you know the two changes that way. So it's funny. What I'm trying to say is, if Parrish misses, BZT's in. If Parrish plays, BZT doesn't play. Even though it's not a like for like, I just think in terms of getting the numbers into that back line, that's that's how I would do it. All right, that takes us through the preview of this week's game against the Saints. Hopefully we can get up uh, Friday night, another blockbuster time slot. So we um, hopefully put in a good show and, and get a good turnout again with the crowd as well, even though it's uh, it's actually our away game Um this week, but uh, I know we're looking forward to still going along anyway after work, which will be good. And just to finish us off now, um, some sadder news uh, we've got to say just to finish off here, but uh, um, a good acknowledgement nonetheless. Yeah, so it was publicised on the club website there, but a, a long-time supporter of the football club, Myrna Slattery, uh, unfortunately passed away at, at 93. She'd been an Essendon member for 79 consecutive years. So she was actually the, the president of the Essendon Ladies Committee from since 1999 and was actually made a, uh, a life member of the football club in 1999 as well. Um, so it was a great little story there how she was a principal at a school in Mulgrave and she would drive from Mulgrave to Windy Hill multiple times a week uh, during the 80s and the 90s to... Uh, to cook for, to cook for, and look after the players there. So, kind of being that real maternal figure, helping some, you know guys who may be away from home or going through a tough period, being you know a friendly face and a, and a shoulder to, to lean on. So, you know, it's, she's made an actual real contribution in terms of dealing with the club and helping the players there, but also just seventy nine years of consecutive membership, Mark. That's that's outstanding. When I when I saw that, I thought, oh, you know, that's that's unbelievable. I think they said that she was born the same day John Coleman was. Has been a been a member for eighty years. It's it's astounding and amazing that someone would contribute so much just in terms of support for eighty years. And I think it's you know where the Essendon people podcast Myrna was clearly an Essendon person. Uh, and one that actually did a bit more than just you and I supporting, actually made an actual contribution to the lives of the people at the club as well. So I just wanted to take take time to acknowledge Myrna's passing, and that um, club did as well where they wore the black armbands on the 150th anniversary there. So when you think the club's 150 years old, she's been a consecutive member for more than half of that time. So, yeah, amazing contribution. Yeah, really fantastic contribution. And when you put it into perspective like that, that we've just celebrated 150 years and she's been there for almost 80 of those years, she would have really seen some some really great times at the club and some transformative times and uh, and some not-so-good times as well. But um, it sounds like she, she had a real personal connection uh, at the club, which is something that she obviously treasured. Um, and that's, that's fantastic that, uh, yeah, someone's been able to, to have that sort of contribution to to a football club is amazing. Well, we talked we talked earlier, Mark, about the only other person who could possibly be an immortal of the football club in uh, in Dick Reynolds, and Myrna was of an age she pro- she would have seen a fair portion of 
of Dick's career, you know, considering she's the same age as, as, as Coleman there actually played with Reynolds. Uh, it's fair to say that, yeah, when you think of that, like you've, you've witnessed Dick Reynolds, you've witnessed John Coleman, Bill Hutchison, you know, the, on, all the way through, it's just uh, what, what an amazing time as an Essendon supporter she would have had. That's fantastic. Um, okay, well, that wraps us up. Um, nice little way to end. We said that we wanted to to look at things in a more positive light, and I think that's a, a fitting way to do that, um, to close out the pod. So with that, hopefully uh, we can have a good showing on Friday night against the Saints, and go Dons. Go Bombers. Whoosh, <whistles> whoosh,